Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Change on the Run podcast, where we discuss common change challenges and ways you can address them when you're short of time. And I'm your host, Phil Buckley. Today's topic is creating a change champion network. Change champions or agents are respected and trusted people whose views and actions influence their peers. A change champion network organizes these highly regarded individuals into a team to support change by sharing information, articulating benefits, role modeling new ways of thinking and behaving, and providing feedback on how people are doing. They're essential to a nimble and successful change initiative. So, how do you create a change champion network that enables its members to act as your arms and legs throughout an organization as you implement a change plan? And my guest today is Rob Caldera. Rob, welcome to the show. Hi, Phil. Thank you. Great, great to have you on. Rob is the managing principal of FutureShift Consulting, an organizational change management, communications, and strategic foresight firm dedicated to helping organizations anticipate and navigate disruptive change and prepare for the future of work. Throughout his career, Rob has helped drive both small and large changes in the pharmaceutical, publishing, big four consulting, engineering and construction industries. He holds an MS in technology management from Stevens Institute of Technology, a BS in aerospace engineering from Hofstra University, and is certified as a change management practitioner through ProSci and in strategic foresight from the University of Houston. Rob, what's been your experience with Change Champion Networks? Well, thanks, Phil. Uh, first of all, let me just say thanks for inviting me. So happy to be here today. Excited to do this with you. I've been involved in creating networks of this type on many projects for a long time now, from small focused networks of subject matter experts to large networks consisting of many different types of people helping to champion a change. In fact, I was even a partner, actually one of the founders, of a small company called Change Agents Worldwide, which took that concept of an internal change network and applied it to creating an external network of both consultants and people inside companies that considered themselves to be change agents. And it was focused on enabling more effective, more human ways of working. Also, much of my experience on projects has been on technology implementations where a change network is needed to help facilitate adoption. I've also used them, though, on broader transformational projects that might still involve technology as one component, but where the change touches on things like organizational restructuring, process changes, resources, skills, etc. So done a lot of change champion related work. <laughs> Given all of those, I, I'm just wondering, sort of what, what are the benefits of using it? Because I'm, I'm aware that some organizations don't take the time to do it. You know, what, what do you get out of a network? Because it, it does involve considerable organization. Yes, Phil, you're, you're right. It does, it does require a lot to get a, a network like this going. But you're also right. There are a lot of benefits to creating a change champion network. The biggest value I see is that it can ex help accelerate change readiness prior to the change going into effect, but then it could also help accelerate adoption of the change after uh, things are implemented. And, and it does this in a few ways. So I'll put it this way, the champion network 
is basically an extension of the project team or the change management team. They're also embedded in the business though, in the functions impacted by the change. The champions are your inside man, so to speak, but, but not in a nefarious or duplicitous way. <laughs> you know, they're basically your, your ground game. So take, for example, in the world of politics, they use that term to talk about the volunteers helping to get out the vote, right? Like in your local townships. And, and the old saying goes, all politics are local. Well, that's the case with change management too. I mean, you could have the best messaging at the top. You could have a well-oiled project team, but if you don't have those individual departments and functions on board, you're not going to get very far. And who are the local folks that, like as I said before, going to listen to, meaning the people in the functions? Will they listen to some, to borrow another political term, some carpetbagger from corporate <laughs> coming in and telling them, you know, what's happening? Or someone who actually lives their day-to-day -day experience, right? Those are the change champions. Those the ones that you want to hear from because they know exactly what you're going through. So to, so to continue on that, to give you an example, on my projects, when we want to get a stakeholder on board, it often starts by having the change management lead and the project owner usually coming together and maybe any other key players and having them invited to join one of the stakeholders' regular leadership meetings or even meet with the entire function if there is a venue for that, like let's say a town hall coming up, to have them come in there and present on the project. So the change champion from within that particular a stakeholder can help get that meeting set up, can help facilitate it. And then at that meeting, the champion will take part in the presentation, providing the what's in it for us. How does it impact us? Providing that perspective, which is key. And then can also field questions that come up around those issues from their team. Of course, they need to know the topic very well, and they need to anticipate the type of questions that will come up. If you have a good champion who could speak to these things, that's why I was saying it, that could help accelerate buy-in. And you can almost feel it in a meeting when a change champion who is well-educated on a project and specifically on the potential issues for their function, when they speak, it's like a sense of calm comes across the audience. The tone of the questions you then get may even change and you'll even start to hear positive comments and agreement with the team's messaging because he's one of them. So people start to hear things in a different way. You know, sometimes it's not just the message, it's the messenger, right? You know, look, and it's not that those things can't be achieved without change champions, but it makes it so much easier. <laughs> Another benefit too is that since change champions are embedded within the impacted business units, they can help identify areas of resistance for you, even sniff them out before they become a big problem. And then they can then work directly with that person or people along with the group's manager to resolve those issues. So they get a sense, so the people who uh, maybe are the ones resisting then get a sense that they were able to work through the issues themselves and come out the other side without having some decision forced upon them. It gives them a sense of agency that they were able to sort of do this themselves which is always helpful in getting a change adoption. That sense of agency it really resonates with me. And I think it's that sense of ownership of the change versus, you know, the change being done to you by, you know, the carpetbaggers. And do you have an example of when you saw that happen where, yeah, I love that sense of calm, but, but you know, you were there and, and you could actually feel it, that it was owned by the group that was in the, the room versus, you know, being owned by the central project team. Yes, definitely. I've seen that happen a number of times, but one particular example that that really resonated with me that sticks in my head. When you do find the right people, it can be like magic. The example I'm thinking of is I was putting together this large change advocate network for a very large transformational program. And it was the first meeting between the advocates that had been selected and the work stream leaders. And, and my role as a change manager, I, I led the presentation. So at various points, 
you know, I was trying to get engagement from them and it was quieter than, than I had hoped, you know. So I started wondering if the people selected were just there or just doing this because maybe they had been, you know, voluntold, <laughs> you know, and they were not excited to be doing this, which of course is something also to watch out for when you're putting together a, a champion network. But then one change advocate jumped in and it seemed like he had been holding back maybe to give his colleagues a chance because maybe he's the one that always spoke up, but then decided, well, somebody has to speak here. <laughs> he started to talk about the program and the various issues associated with it with such passion and such clarity and talking about how he really sees how this change network could help make a difference. It was beautiful. I mean, I wish I had recorded it because his words would have been perfect to use in like communications. And I think afterwards, I think even when I was drafting some communications for the project, I was remembering some of his words and sort of filtering into what I was writing. His willingness to open up like that then got others talking. And what I was worried was going to turn into a disaster, turned into a great meeting. But then, and then of course, what came out of that is I then turned to him afterwards to play a leadership role in the network. And that's another thing to consider. You know, not all change champions are created equal. And if you have a big network, you will need some of them to play unofficial leadership roles to help get that train rolling. I guess the, the informal leader becomes the local leader of the change. But also then became more than that, right? He, he was also able to be sort of a leader on a, on a broader scale, not just in the local area, because he would then speak up at some meetings or like town halls that had other people involved there. And it was clear that he was speaking for the whole company and not just for his own group too. Interesting that you say that not all change champions or agents are equal. And I know, you know design is such a big part of when your expertise and, and your practice. And I, I was reading last night in one of your Medium articles where you said, you know, take control of your future by designing it, which was a great quote. I, and if we could overlay that on the Change Champion Network, how do you create a good one? Like how do you, from start, from scratch, okay, it's time to create our network. From your experience, how would you build it? Great question. And I'd say for starters, I mean, it's the people, right? And that kind of goes without saying. You want people who are very enthusiastic about the change, who have enough knowledge about the subject to serve as a guide, but not so much that it's off-putting, meaning, you know, others who will be going through the change can't relate to them because they're coming at it from such a different level of knowledge already that somebody just really can't understand what they're talking about. You also need them to be very close to the change in that their function be a key stakeholder that's impacted. But it's really about, like I said, it's about the people and the type of people. So champions should also be people who are comfortable with change as well as ambiguity, right? So because complex change projects often have a lot of that. The exact change, the, the exact impact, how the change will happen may not always be entirely clear. And it helps if the people are, the champions are very future oriented too, you know, meaning they're people who want to see a clear vision out there, something they can grasp onto, a better, better, brighter tomorrow, right? You know, some people sort of more naturally gravitate towards those sorts of things. And you want your change champions to be like that. And finally, of course, it helps if they're very social people too, as they will need to interact with many of their colleagues. And at the same time, they should also be people who have the respect of their peers. But most importantly, I think the final thing that I'd say that you really need to look out for is make sure they have the bandwidth to do the work. <laughs> wow. Tell me more. That is so great because I've experienced what happens when that's not true. So please tell, tell us more. You'd be surprised or actually you probably wouldn't be surprised since you've done this work too. <laughs> but really how little effort goes into choosing the right people for the, the various you know, traits I mentioned that, that they should have, but also biggest one being people who you may or may not have enough bandwidth. Often the case I see is that they, meaning the, the business or the 
the functional leaders who are asked to select people, and they're asked to select the people because presumably they know their people the best, they might select the person who is most knowledgeable on the topic, but without considering any other factors. And it's often the same people selected, I find, over and over again from multiple initiatives, because besides being perhaps the smart people in their group, they're the smartest ones, they're the most reliable. But even the best person can be spread too thin. And look, if you can't find more than one person in your organization each time to take that role on, then you have other organizational issues. <laughs> you know, another mistake I also see is that often they, they'll select the most senior middle managers to be the champions, thinking that seniority automatically equates to capability. But for this type of work, that's not always the case. In fact, the more senior somebody is, the further away they are usually from those in the trenches who will be most impacted by the change. Uh, you know, look, give me an enthusiastic, smart junior person who's ready to engage all his or her colleagues on a level they understand any day. Yeah, and I agree that the leader, she or he, should be selecting within the team. I think not only because they know their people well, but if they don't, they might actually resist the whole network because they weren't involved. So I made that mistake. One other thing to think about is also when you have all your change champions out there and when you have the whole group selected and they're out there doing the work that they do, they might be able to help identify other people too that no one had thought of other members in the team who feel the same way as they do people who would be willing to do the work you know there's no rule that says you have to end with the same amount of change agents that you start out with in fact the more you recruit and put into the field, the greatest great chance of success you'll have. So what happens if a leader picks, say, the wrong person in your eyes to take on the role of a, of a change agent? They, they don't fit the profile. Maybe they've got capacity, but they don't have influence. How do you navigate that potentially uncomfortable situation where you know your needs are different than the leader's selection? Yes, very, very good question, Phil. And, and obviously not, not an easy one to answer a situation like that. But I think the answer answer to that question starts even before that happens, right? So which leads to another key factor that, that I think I should bring up is that for a project, any transformational project like that, where you have a change agent network, you want to have a dedicated change network leader, right? Now, whether that's someone internally or consultants, somebody who has a sort of change management expertise, you want to have a dedicated network leader, right? Now, this doesn't have to be a full-time role. But depending on the size of the network and the size of the project, you know, global versus regional, you know, the role can be time consuming, but it's important because it's important for that sort of scenario that, 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 you, just, that you just mentioned. You know, it's the change network leader who will be the one sort of keeping track of everything happening within his network, getting to know the people in the network, getting to know their personalities, having the meetings. And through that, it'll start to become clear who really wants to be doing this type of work, who's not who has the right personality for it or not. And that person will at times need to, well, that person meaning the, the, the person leading the network will need to take stock in what's happening and, and reevaluate. And if you're talking about a long transformational project, you may even go, want to go into it telling your change, change agents, look, you may not have to do this for the entire, whatever it is, 18 months, a year, whatever, you know, we will bring in other change networks. Because I think I mentioned earlier that, as I said, you don't have to end with the same amount of change agents that you start with. So you hope, you will hope that you will find other change advocates going forward that you could bring into the group. And as that happens, you could have some roll off. Look, everybody is so busy these days. You could roll somebody off very easily just based on 
workload and, and have a conversation. Hey, I'm sure if they really didn't want to be there and if they're not as effective, they'll probably be very happy to just roll off and say, hey, look, I'm too busy. John over here, we're better off t- t- taking my role. So there's, there's ways around it. Yes, it can be a sensitive conversation in some situations, but I think more often than not, it's probably easier than you think to just have different change champions come in and out you know, depending on the size of the project. And, and if you're talking about a smaller project with a closer knit group, then that's, that's more difficult. And, and that's where you'd probably have to have a more serious conversation between you and the change agent. And I would also make sure in that conversation, you have that, that person's manager involved as well. Not only because that's who they report to, but usually that they're, they're advocating on behalf of that person because it's his group as well. So that person needs to be involved in the whole situation. It could be an amicable conversation. And, and at the end, maybe both would all come to the same conclusion that this person just doesn't have the bandwidth for the work and they'd be happy to also hand it off to somebody else. Oh, that's great. And I'm wondering, you know, the, the, the manager and, and the, the leadership team, it seems like they're so essential to make these networks work because their team members are, are giving a certain amount of effort to it versus doing sort of functional projects. Have you ever had a situation where a leader wasn't a fan of you know, the network and the requirements that you needed. Hey, my team is fully, they're working overtime. They have no time for this network stuff. Uh, have you ever been involved in something like that? And if you were, you know, have, how do you manage that? I've been involved in that situation, except I would say, not that I can remember, but uh, no one has, in my, in my experience, overtly said that. Hey, I'm not going to support this. My people are, are, are too busy. But I've known that. Obviously, you know, when you're around something, you get you get a sense of where things are, where people are. And you could just tell, you know, whether a certain leader or not supports something based on their actions, the way they say things. You know, in that, in that situation, what's really happening is more than just a problem with your change champion network, right? So if that leader is not on board with the change champion network, it means they're likely not on board with the whole project to to begin with. So you've got bigger problems to deal (laughs) with. And usually in that case, I've had, I then have had to have conversations with, let's say on a big transformational project, one of the work stream leaders that maybe that function will be impacted by, right? And so then it almost becomes out of my hands as the, as the change manager. And I will, I'll need to talk with the work stream leader, who's usually somebody higher, higher up in the organization, a lot more responsibility about, hey, you know, that becomes then an area of resistance, right? It's not just a matter of, this is going to impact my change network. This is an area of resistance for the for the project. So then you've got to go into resistance management, which is probably a whole other podcast for you. <laughs> well, I'll have you back for <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> to keep it short in that situation, yeah, that's when you have that conversation with the work stream leader and you realize you've got an area of resistance and that's when they then may have to have other conversations either with that person or with other people to see how, how do we get this one particular function back on board and why. Why is this... Uh, uh, function not on board. And you have to then look into all of your sort of change analysis and, and, and the impact to them. It can get into a lot of other, other areas of change management then too. All it is is just a conversation between that person and the work stream leader or it could be much more involved. No, very true. And, and I think you raised that's such a great point about there's more going on there than the network. This is a sort of a, a project risk that, that needs to be managed and, and addressed sooner than later. So let's go back to setting up the the network the leaders appointed people they're they're good people how do you motivate someone to actually accept the role because i've seen times where people have said hey well thanks leader that's an honor however i'm so busy on this i you know i can't accept this role how do you motivate the person to say great i'm going to take this on and and give it my best another great question remarkably i wish i'd actually so you just said you've seen people 
decline the role because they're too busy. Whatever. I'd actually like to see that more often because that shows me a little bit of, of honesty and people know they can't do it. Very often people might take it on because they might feel obligated when somebody asks them and then they really can't do the role. But what I found in my case is that very often you don't need that much incentives, right? Because many people will want the opportunity to be on a big project especially if it's one of high strategic value that has the eye of the CEO or some other high leader. And if they don't instinctively get that, then, then that's one of your selling points, right? Telling the, these potential change champions that they will have an opportunity for professional growth and learning, uh, maybe even a step towards advancement. You know, you're selling that exposure that comes with being actively involved with a significant strategic initiative. So for example, I put together this change champion network for this large transformational program that was literally going to change almost every aspect of this large division in a, in a company, right? It was going to take them from an outdated way of working to basically the, the future of work. They even used the future of work in their, in their messaging for this project. The message to the change champions was that they would be involved with the most significant transformation that this division had ever undertaken. And that wasn't an exaggeration. Now, for some employees, that can be scary, right? But real change champions will jump at the chance to get involved in something like that. So just alone, having that type of messaging will help weed out those who really want to be involved in something like that versus, versus not, right? That's how you know you're getting good candidates. And you could build on that message too by making it clear that they will gain valuable experience with transformational change, which is something that we all know has become a regular part of business today and a key part of leadership activities, right? So gaining this experience will give them a leg up on others both within the organization and outside, the subtle message being that this will help them find other positions if they, if they eventually <laughs> want to leave the company. Sure. So, uh, you know, another incentive to get people to join is, and this depends on your plans, is if you plan on training your change advocates in change management, right? Like, for example, maybe the company has a specific change management methodology, and by having them involved in this effort, they will then get trained in that in the methodology the company uses and how to execute it. So then not only will they know it for this project, they'll be able to use that on any future projects that they're involved in. Learning an important skill set like that then will make them valuable to the organization on many future projects. So that's definitely an incentive there. Then there's also just the cool factor that comes with being part of a special project, right? Especially if there's a lot of buzz around it. You're, you're with the in crowd now, suddenly, you know? So for example, I helped manage a change network for a project, different one than the one I mentioned before, that was very much like this in terms of the cool factor. There was, there was lots of buzz around it. Everyone knew the project's name, but I did the communication strategy too, so that helped. <laughs> they were in good hands. <laughs> but it was very, you know, there was a lot of high visibility with this project. It gave people involved with an exposure, not only to leadership, but to a vendor because uh, it was this large system implementation, a vendor that was making waves in the industry. You know, and look, and we got a lot of cool tchotchkes from the vendor. <laughs> as a very cool. of the I love tchotchkes. <laughs> Everybody loves the tchotchkes, right? So we were able to make the project fun. And, and that helped obviously keep the change champions more enthused about it. And look, with this particular organization, 
fun like that wasn't something that they easily gravitated towards, wow. <laughs> you know, so, so, this, so that actually made it very different too than the typical culture or climate that everybody there was used to. Wow. What a great example. Like, you know, the whole cool factor is fantastic because it, again, it's, it's that scarcity. Are you, have you been asked to be on it? Yes, I have. And, and it is that informal recognition, you know, that I'm, I'm a cool kid, which is, I think a, a desire for a lot of people. As you mentioned informal recognition, I should say, and a part of this also should be formal recognition, right? So you can tie their work as a change champion to their performance reviews, you know, so that it goes on their record and is acknowledged by their, their managers come review time, you know, then that, that way, then you're also giving them potential financial incentive in doing this. Now, of course, to do that, that's not always that easy to add things like that to performance reviews. You'll have to discuss it with, with HR, of course, and figure out a way to formally get it into the performance review. But doing that, obviously can will add some extra real incentives to, towards that work. Uh, you may even want to try allocating this budget special bonuses for, for the work they're doing as champions. I would do that though more as a reward for them after the fact, not as an upfront incentive because then you might attract people for the, for, for the wrong reasons, <laughs> of course. But yeah, but there should definitely be some formal incentives tied to the informal things I, I mentioned before. To really have a good community, as you say, as a change champion network, you should probably have a, a change champion network plan as well so that you can motivate throughout. And it, it just doesn't happen by happenstance. You, you plan for it. Is that your experience? You should definitely have a change champion plan. It doesn't need to be maybe as big or as detailed as your communications plan, but it, it, it's, it's all part of, of stakeholder engagement, right? So if you're creating a stakeholder engagement plan, Maybe a subset of that, and this is what I've done, I'll outline a series of tasks and maybe label them as, you know, category change champion network, right? So yes, you definitely want to plan everything about this going into, you know, the type of incentives that's going to be, how you're going to organize them from the beginning, how you're going to get them together, how many, how often are you going to meet you know, how those meetings are going to go, what's the goals around, whether it's a monthly or a bi-weekly change champion meeting, and then what are the activities that you want your change champion group to do? So yes, you definitely need to plan all those things out. You know, often it. we don't have the the time to do everything that, that we could to make sure the change champion network is set up well and that it kind of gets a good push off to, to do it. If you were brought in late, let's say, to a transformation and you could only really focus on kind of one activity or one aspect of, of getting this network up and, and successfully running, where would you spend your time? What's that 80-20 activity that would get you through that tight time crunch that you had to kick off quickly. And I think I've kind of been in situations like that, that before on, on occasion. You never want to be rushed like that to put together something as important as a change champion network. But if you are, I, I think I would actually then go back to one thing I said, I said earlier in, the, in this podcast, you don't always want to have the, the champions selected who are the people who are always selected, right? You know, I mentioned that sometimes managers by default go to the same people all the, all the time because they know they're knowledgeable, they, 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 they know they're reliable. But then, you know, I mentioned that you could potentially have a bandwidth issue there. However, if you're in the situation that you just mentioned and you need to put together a network quickly, that means you don't have the time to really do the, the vetting of all other people that may be the good change champions out there. So in that case, then I would go to the leaders involved in the project and say, give me your best people. Who do you know? You know, who are the people you've used before that are good with this? Give me your, your, your top 
whatever, five people, how many you need and bring them in. And if they are the right people, like they said, they should be able to sort of do this more naturally. And that will help get the Change Champion Network sort of out there on the ground much, much quicker. It's like your special forces. You're throwing them in on the ground, right? But you know, you can't have them in there permanently. You need to get the full army in there, but just, just do what you got to do. Get your best people in there to get things started. So maybe that might be a way of handling that situation. No, that's, that's a great answer. Because again, it, it is that force situation. You just have to get it up and running. And I'm just wondering, as we, as we round off the show, and is there kind of one insight or, or piece of advice or, or maybe it could be a watch out or one thing that you've seen from your experience that you could share with the listeners that you think, hey, whatever you do, just remember this one point about Change Champion Networks that will help you as you're you know, setting them up and, and making them successful throughout a change. What would that be? You know, it might sound kind of obvious, but I think, don't forget, it's about the people right? And, and yes, change management in general is dealing with the people side of change versus the technology or the processes. But a change champion network even more so is about the people. And we've discussed a lot today, Phil, about, you know, finding the right people and what goes into that. But don't forget, right? That's what this is about, is this is about the people, finding the people who are who are enthusiastic, who want to be the champions, you know, but also who, who want to see things improve, who want to help their people, their their organization get through this this change. You know, change could be tough. So what was the old phrase? Um, again, we talked about briefly, uh, made some allusions to politics before. The phrase in politics was, it's the economy stupid, right? Well, for this, it's the people stupid. <laughs> Great advice. And, and I, one thing I'll, I'll never forget is, is just how you've phrased it as a community. And it is community is connecting back to the people. And it's so often in change, it becomes the PowerPoint or it becomes the steps and you forget it's all about people. So thank you, Rob. Thanks so much for being on the Change on the Run podcast. Really appreciate you sharing your perspectives, your advice and your experience. Thanks for being on. Thank you, Phil. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was great. And how can people get in touch with you? Of course, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, just look, look up Rob Caldera. Also, you can go to my website, futureshiftconsulting.com. Great. Thank you. And I'd also like to thank our producer, Charlie Buckley, and thanks to you for listening. And if you have any questions or comments, please email me at phil at changewithconfidence.com. And for upcoming episodes, please subscribe to the Change on the Run podcast from your favorite platform. And please write a review if you've got the time. And until the next time, I wish you all the best as you continue to lead change.